My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, today I want to talk about doubts. What do you do with your doubts? What do you do when you've got doubts about God? Or you've got doubts, let's be specific about Jesus. Because Jesus himself declared that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. The early apostles, not long after that, were very boldly declaring there is salvation in no other name except Jesus. He's the only way. There's only one door. There are not multiple doors. And, and, and so what do you do if you doubt that? What do you do if you're on a journey of faith somewhere along the journey? We talk about our vision is leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But what if you're at the early stages of that and you haven't even really started yet or you're just starting and, and you're, you're wondering, you're questioning and what do you do with your doubts? And I'm not just talking about little doubts like, you know, how many horsemen of the apocalypse and was it John, Paul, George, and Ringo? You know what I mean? Not, not, not these peripheral things. I'm talking about the big doubts, okay? The big doubts. Like, does God really exist? I mean, how do we know? Because he's not tangible, tactile. We can't reach out and grab him and feel him. We can't see him. How do we know Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ? I mean, after all, we are 2,000 years after the fact. So what if maybe 2,000 years ago they were much more gullible as people and Jesus was just really good at parlor tricks? And, and you know, how do we know? Because we haven't seen it ourselves, Right. I mean, uh, sure, right? We, we say if, if we could have seen the miracles, we'd believe. Okay, we, we say that. That's not really true because a lot of people saw and didn't believe. But, but, you know, what's our thread of belief? And what if it's hindered, hampered by shreds of doubt? What do we do with our doubts? I think, it's, I think doubts are normal. Um, I'll tell you this. I've been privileged to be at Sunrise since 1994. I've been a follower of Jesus over 40 years. And I want to tell you something. I read the Bible every year, and sometimes when I go through the Bible, I go like, really? That, I don't, what about that? What about that versus that? And I'm not really sure. And as, as, your, as your lead pastor, can I be honest and say, I have doubts? There are moments I have doubts. Now, nobody vacate the room. Don't turn off the feed, okay, online. Because I think doubt is a normal part of faith. I really do think that. And I think it's okay to have your doubts, but the question would be, what do you do with your doubts? 
And that's what I want to talk about today, because we're going to be in a story in John 9, where there is this guy in particular and some other people around him, and we'll see varying what we'll call levels of belief. Take a look at this, levels of belief and levels of doubt. Um, There are people in this story that we're going to see that are uh, scoffers. Uh, A scoffer is someone who mocks, and the, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about that, a mocker, a scoffer, someone who laughs at you. Maybe you had a professor in university who mocked Christianity and, and said on the first day, my, one of my goals is to destroy your belief in God and the Bible. There are mockers, there are scoffers, there are people that just Don't enjoy the fact that you have faith and they deride you. They're scoffers. We're going to see some scoffers in the story. There's another group of people that we're going to see. Those are the skeptical people. Uh, I like skeptics. Scoffers, I want to stay far from because the Bible says lightning's going to hit them one of these days. Okay. And if you're hanging out with scoffers in the car crashes, you're in trouble too, right? Or if, if you're married to a scoffer, please, we'll love to pray for you because that scoffer is going to hurt everything. Okay. If you're in business dealings with a scoffer, that's going to be damaging. But a skeptic, skeptics, I love, I love, I've, I've had Bible studies with skeptics before. I love it. I used to have a Bible study for atheists. It was awesome. I love, I love skeptics. People are like, seriously, show me. Come on. Where does it say that? I love that because I've studied a lot of that and I, I love to explore how do we know the New Testament is really true? How do we know, even though it was an oral culture, that it was written down accurately after the fact? I love that stuff. Skeptics are ones that go, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. As long as you're willing to ask, it's a great journey. Then, then you've also got this group of people that are self-righteous. Self-righteous people, by definition, are self-righteous, okay? Uh, they, they look in the mirror and they go, dude, you are awesome, God is so lucky to have you. Your church is so lucky to have you. Man, other people should just just sit down every day at lunch and go, tell me more about you and why you're so awesome. Self-righteous people, and there are a lot of self-righteous people in the world today. You don't have to be a Christian to be self-righteous. And in this Bible story we're going to see today, there are self-righteous people. They have clearly defined a list of rules, do's and don'ts. They've put God in this box, and they've said, hey, everything has to operate according to that. And I'm so glad God cannot be contained in one of our boxes. And then finally, we're going to see this one guy. This one guy, he is someone who's seeking God. You see, Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth. And the truth will what? It will set you free. And if you want to know the truth today, that truth will not constrain you as we often think about it will not deny you as sometimes people look at the Bible and say, oh, God just wants to say no to everything. It'll actually set you free. It'll give you the best life possible. And Jeremiah says this in 29. This is great. 29, 13. He says that God diligently rewards those who seek him. So if you're seeking God, if you're on this journey and God is calling you and he's whispering to you and you're on a path, that's a beautiful place to be because if you're intent on that, God shows up in a beautiful way. And we're going to see that happen in the life of a guy. Now, here's a cool question. What happens when you get in the same place, in the same room, scoffers and skeptics and self-righteous people and seeking people? What do you call that? Sunrise Church. That's what you call that. And that's just among the pastoral staff. No. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, It's called life, right? 
That was everyday life in the world of Jesus, even in religious Judaism. That was everyday life. There were people that scoffed at Jesus, scoffed at God showing up in the flesh. There were people that had questions. They were skeptical. There were a lot of people that were self-righteous, and there were a few people, and they were called disciples. They were the the people that had been discarded by the religious people, and they followed Jesus. We're going to see all that come together. It's a beautiful place to be when we see this. And here is a man in John 9 whose life was completely turned around. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 9. Uh, we got our big Bible on the wall here, and if you're at home, you can see that. Uh, but John chapter 9, again, we're going to go through pretty much the whole chapter. And uh, if, if we had time, this would be like four messages, I'm sure. But it's a beautiful story to go through and ask the question, where are you in this story? Who are you in this story? And what is your level of belief or level of doubt? And what are you going to do about it? All right? So John 9, I want to take us there. And it starts this way. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi or teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? By the way, it doesn't say he was deaf. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking down? Uh, my family and I came back from uh, spring break and we stopped on the max. We ride the max to the airport and back. And, 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 and so, or we got to ride there and we got to ride back on the max. And we're there at Pioneer Courthouse Square and it was like nine o'clock at night. Do you ever hang out at Pioneer Courthouse Square at like nine o'clock on a Saturday night? It's a cool place to be. All right. All kinds of sights, all kinds of smells, all kinds of people, right? And can you just imagine walking by? a bunch of homeless teenagers and having a conversation. I wonder why these teenagers are homeless. What did they do? How did they blow up their life? What kind of stupid, reckless things did they do? Would you ever do something like that? No. You wouldn't talk like that with the people that are right there. You're talking about those people. This reveals a couple things. A false theology and a cold heart. A false theology was, and, and we kind of believe it too at times, but it's pretty prevalent in that day, that obviously if bad things happen to you, then you must have done bad things, right? If you got a flat tire on the way home from work, you just didn't put in enough energy at work. You said something wrong. You shouldn't have sent that email. You probably shouldn't have sent that email anyway, okay? But the fact is, is that we equate like this one-to-one relationship. And so obviously if something bad happens to you, and there's even bad theology that relates to that. There are people that, and it's it's horrible on TV and such today, that'll say like, if you've got cancer, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you want to be healed, you have to have enough faith. All right? And if you just have enough faith, it'll be okay. Because somehow your faith will twist God's hand to force an issue. And ultimately, if you have something like that, it's because you've sinned. That's bad theology. The reality is there is sin in the world, and that brokenness just brings problems and pain, right? And there may not be a a causality to it other than just the fact that we live in a broken world, a world that's no longer perfect, and so there's problems. Yeah, okay, there are times we do dumb stuff, right? Let's raise your hand if you've ever done the dumb stuff, stuff. This week, all of our hands should be up, right? Okay, the dumb stuff we do, okay? And that causes problems, okay? But what they're talking about here is, is bad theology, but it's also a cold, callous heart. Can you imagine just walking by a beggar on the road and just looking at that beggar and go, boy, I wonder why he's in that situation. Did, did he blow up his life or was it his parents? That's not a very good heart, right? If you want to do anything, just get down and have a conversation, right? 
back then give alms. It was very much the religious duty to give alms to the poor. In fact, in some theologies in that time, God put the poor amongst us so that we would be generous to them as allowing it to be an expression of our faith, that it was a relationship God had established. So who, who, who sinned? Who sinned is the question. I love Jesus' answer. It's because you knuckleheads. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. Now, this is really cool. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. That just might be the case in your life. It might be that God has allowed something in your life. You go back to Job. Please don't talk about Job, right? All that bad stuff happening so that God could be revealed and glorified. You see, God's on a mission to get all the glory in the universe. And all the glory should come to him. And so he will sometimes orchestrate things in our lives. And it could be that that bad thing that's happened to you, including physical bad things, diseases and such, even death in someone's life, it could be because God wants to get the glory out of it. That's the best way for God to shine. It could be just like, you know, you've got Paul, this awesome apostle who has this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to kind of wear him down, to make sure he doesn't get too proud because of all the stuff he's seen and done. God says, you know what, Paul, I know you keep praying for this to go away, but I want to show up in this. Even in the bad stuff, my grace is sufficient. And it could be that something has happened in your life so God gets glory. He's going to turn that around. It says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. And he's contrasting, it's a great theological thing, black and dark and light and, you know, white and stuff like that. Because the guy's blind, he can't see. Okay, so he's doing a contrast here. And Jesus goes on, and look what it says here. Then he spit on the ground. That's always kind of made me weird. You know what I mean? It's like, couldn't he, shouldn't he... I mean, is there no dignity? I mean, Jesus just spits on the ground. You know, I was taught, thank you, Mom, that's not a cool thing, okay? My dad always would spit, and he would spit, and he would spit. And we'd be in the car, and I'd be in the back seat, and and we always had the four-door and the windows down, and the smoke would go out and come back in, and the spit would go out and come back in, right? I mean, I remember that as a kid, right? It's like it's it's just kind of not cool, you know? If you just walk around spitting everywhere, that's gross, right? I mean, it's saliva. It's one thing, it's, if it's your saliva, I mean, you could spit in a cup and drink it, although that sounds kind of gross, but it's your saliva. It's in your mouth anyway, right? You're going to swallow it anyway, right? But somebody else's, like, ooh, that's gross, okay? So Jesus spits on the ground. Why is it that we always picture Jesus as this six-foot-tall white guy with blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin, a white robe, and a blue sash? And he walks around with this awesome British voice. Why, why is that? Nah, Jesus was a Jewish man, dark skin, just like everybody else, not much by way of appearance, the Bible says, and he lived in the everyday, so he spits on the ground, and he makes mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. This guy doesn't, all he hears is this question about, you know, why is this guy blind? And all of a sudden, Jesus gives something, and he spits, and you hear something, and then all of a sudden, there's mud being poured on this, put on this guy's eye. And, 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 and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Salome. Salome meant sense. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. You're like, go, you know, here, I'm going to spit in the ground. I'm going to put mud everywhere. Now go clean yourself up. It's like, What? That is it. Now, there's a couple things going on here. 
And it's pretty fascinating. It's pretty interesting in the story. First of all, um, I want to talk about the Pola Salome. The Pola Salome, here's a picture here that uh, shows a drawing of it, a rendering of it. It's, it's pretty cool. If some of us have been to Israel, we've been in that because it, it's all fed water-wise by this Hezekiah's tunnel that's underneath the ancient core of the city. It's a really cool story how God had saved the people. And so this water, this water that flows, that represents living water, life water, flowing down into this Pola Salome, there's really only about this much. Much of it right now that has been uh, excavated because the rest of it's owned by some church or something like that, and they're not going to give it up to dig it out. But it was a pool where people would go and relax. It was at the bottom of the hill, essentially, as the water flowed down underneath the caverns there in the Hezekiah's tunnel and would fill in there. And it means scent. And so, so this was a story, and there's a pool of Siloam. It's Old Testament stories, New Testament stories about it. And so Jesus tells the guy, go clean up there. Go wash up there. How much faith did it take to wash the mud out of your eyes? Not much, right? Do you even think maybe this was humiliating for the guy? He doesn't know who Jesus is. It's clear in the story he has no idea who this guy is. And the callousness of the question was already been presented to his ears. Even though he can't see, he can hear, right? And, and so the mud is there, and then he goes and washes in the pool. Now, now, it, it, go, let's go to the, the next passage here. It says, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And so the thing is, is that the man washed and came back seeing. I, I've never been blind. And, you know, I've, I've had friends who are blind, and they, they know how to walk, and they learn. But imagine this guy's story. From birth, everything's dark. There's, there's nothing there he can see. And he's used to walking along, and his story is basically, I sit by the gate, or I sit by the walkway, the driveway, the pathway, the roadway. And I sit there, and all I do is beg. That's how I get my life's sustenance. And that's how I figured out life. I figure out by maybe a cane or by a friend who walks me there and sits me down and picks me up at the end of the day, or I feel my way down the road, that's life. And he found his way down. He knew where the pool was in his blindness. He knew where it was. And all of a sudden, he can see. And now he heads back. And the question is, how did this happen? How did this guy receive his sight? So there's a question. And he says, that's me. And they asked him, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Well, where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Keep going. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. If, if there was a soundtrack, it would at this point go, dun, 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 the Pharisees. That's kind of what's going on now. The Pharisees are the religious ruling class who are the rule keepers. Now, here's the problem. Jesus just broke their law. He never broke God's laws, but he seemed to go out of his way to break the Pharisees' law. You see, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that you should take a Sabbath. Every seventh day you Sabbath. It's a ceasing day, a rest day, because God started that in creation, and the seventh day he rested because he was done on the sixth day, and so now you're a Sabbath. And it means to cease, do no work. 
okay? But there wasn't a lot of specificity to that, okay? It was like, just cease from working. But over time, people go, hmm, I wonder what kind of loopholes I can come up with that verse from the Bible. I know we never do that as Americans. We never look for loopholes, right? And so it's just like, hmm, I wonder what that means. Like, Well, it means stop. (laughs) It means cease from working. Yeah, but can you be more specific? And so they became specific. The rabbis around the time of Jesus had come up with 39 things that constituted work. 39 things you could not do on the Sabbath. Because if you did one of those 39 things, you had violated God's law. Which is not true, but you had violated the Pharisees' law. And this is, this is a couple of this. It says here, uh, building was one of the 39. You couldn't build anything. Okay? All right? That makes sense, because that sounds like work. Um, and, then, and then you couldn't put food or water into your animals. I mean, you could, but you couldn't mix it. You could give them food or water, but then you couldn't do any work. And, and mixing it would be work, okay? They had to mix their oatmeal on their own, I guess, okay? And so Jesus violates the building. He built something, at least in their eyes, and he mixed. Jesus, Jesus did a no-no. He was a naughty boy. He broke the self-righteous people's rules. And now they're angry at him. We see this a lot through the stories of Jesus that sometimes Jesus intentionally went into the synagogue, the place of the Pharisees, and healed people on the Sabbath just to push their buttons. And because he loved people. And he loved this guy, and he healed him. And so they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. By the way, you don't have to really be an expert at memorizing the Bible to know this guy's story already, right? What is his story? I was born blind. Okay, check. Um, I was sitting there and some guy spit, his name is Jesus, and put the mud in my eye. He told me to go wash I washed and I came back seeing. Any questions? It's like, oh, we got tons of questions. It can't happen like that, right? Let's keep going in the story here. So the Pharisees, they can't accept this. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. See this self-righteousness, this scoffing, this mocking? We've already established that God, you know, fits in our box, and this guy doesn't fit in the box, so therefore he can't be from God. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Keep going. In the text, it says, And the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Now look at their response. This is awesome. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. When I share my faith with people, and there have been times in, in my journey of faith where I've shared about Jesus and people come with questions. I love questions. I love sitting with people who have questions. Like, what about this? And what about that? And let's look at this verse. And this verse says that, but I don't know about this. Or that verse says something else. And I love that. But there have been times that we spend hours upon hours with questions. And th- this might be where you are today. And it's really not about the answer. It's about the question. Meaning, the question is only a smokescreen. Is only a way to keep asking questions because the obvious just doesn't work, right? And the obvious was this guy was blind and now he sees. And yet they can't accept that. And if you've ever been on a journey 
of faith and you've run into some roadblocks, welcome. That's how it works, right? But if you refuse to step over or go beyond or around a roadblock because you don't want to believe, then just stop asking questions and be honest. Just be honest and say, I I just don't want to believe. And quit deceiving yourself and other people and just say, I'm not in this. I think one of the best things some church people could do is just one day stand up and say, I just got to be honest. I'm not in this. I remember when I was youth pastor many years ago, I would, every once in a while I would meet with some young people and I would say, you know what? Do you want me to tell your parents or should you? They're like, I don't know. I go, I think you should tell them that you're not a Christian and you don't want to go to church anymore. I think you should probably stay home because you're just faking it. And if you fake it long enough, you might start believe you're fake and then you're faking Jesus too. And you don't want to live a life like that. So why don't you just come clean and tell your parents that you don't want anything to do with Jesus. That'd be a better place for them and for you. Now at least you'd be honest. Would any of us have the gall to do that? The courage to say, I've been lying the whole time. I think maybe somebody needs to do that. Otherwise you're just trying to fool God. The Pharisees were trying to fool everybody by what they thought was their knowledge. And so they, they, come, they can't believe the obvious. They call on his parents. They ask him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? They don't want to know the answer. Look at it goes on. It says his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Why are you asking us? Okay. Now, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that is why they said he's old enough to ask him. The religious leaders had already made up their mind about Jesus, and they had to shut him down. And so anybody who said he was from God would be desynagogued, basically shunned. And, and, and that was a common occurrence then. In fact, it's still happening today. If you're, if you're born Jewish and if you live a Jewish life and you discover Jesus as Messiah, your family writes you off as dead. You have no part in the family. You have no part in the inheritance. You have denied the faith because you believe Jesus as Messiah. And now they're afraid. They don't want to be kicked out of their culture. They don't want to be kicked out of their community group. They don't want to be ostracized. They just don't want an opinion, right? They just don't want to make a decision because that would come back on them. Maybe that's you today. You're just kind of busy doing the church thing and the religious thing, and you just don't want to make a side your side because then you'd have to be honest about that. You have to do something about it. Well, the story goes on. So for the second time, they call in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this. Check. That's a good, that's a good thing because we know this man is a sinner, <laughs> Their presupposition. He, he can't be from God. Look at this guy. I, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. Okay, can I just ask, what is his story again? I was what? Blind and now I see. That's it, right? That's his story. It's an easy story. That, that's our story. It's not, it's not as flamboyant in that way. I wasn't physically born blind, but I was spiritually blind. The Bible says that all of us are born spiritually dead. And the enemy of this world, Satan, has blinded our eyes so we can't see the truth. 
And only when Jesus comes and removes those blinders, gives every one of us sight, then and then only can we see. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your story, literally your story. All I know is I was blind. That's the theological truth. But now I see. And that is a response to following Jesus that, that, you know, it wasn't as, you know, cool as a spit in the mud. And I remember my prayer, but, you know, I was born blind and now I see that is your story. That is my story. But some people don't want to hear the story and some people, they don't want to respect or accept the story. Keep going with this text. It says, but what did he do? They asked him, how did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, are you morons? No, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? That's like sticking the knife in there and just turning it a little bit. Isn't that great? I love that part of the story. This guy knows they're trying to play him. And he's not going to have anything to do with it. Why? Because he was blind and now he sees. I'll I'll say whatever truth is going on about this because I was blind and now I see. And now, now, now they get mad. They get really mad. Look at this. It says, then they cursed him. And said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. What, what good are you, religious people? Keep going here. It says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. That's somebody who's seeking. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you today, that you're seeking God, because he's drawing you to himself, he's going to hear you. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. This guy didn't, does, apparently didn't go to theology school, but he knows a lot of good theology right here, right? All I know is I was blind, and now I see, and he had to come from God, right? And then look at this. This is awesome. You were born a total sinner. Now, this is literally what they say. You're an illegitimate son or a bastard in our culture and our language. That's what they call him. They cuss him out. They tried to deny his very lifeblood and his very dignity in this moment. And that's what scoffers do when they can't work it out. I've sat there with people who are far from God and on the journey and then realize they're scoffing and all they're going to do is just throw out another sharp reply to put you in your place. You know, the reality is these guys were lost. Some of them beyond sight. Now, we do see some Pharisees eventually come to Jesus. Many, in fact, in the book of Acts. Even some priests. But in this moment, they have so much to lose by following Jesus. Because their whole system would crumble. And again, that could be you. If you said yes to Jesus today, you might lose a lot. You might lose an illicit relationship. You might lose some fancy work with money that you've been playing, you might lose a lot. Some of the great atheists of the 18th, 19th century, they were were very, very honest and said, I can't receive this idea of God because it would curtail my sex life. It would cause me, it would force me to stop and I don't want to stop. I'd rather go do this. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Let's wrap the story up here. 
When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? I I love this. This is from Daniel, and it's Jesus' favorite expression for himself. It's a title he used for himself, which was revealing himself to be Messiah. He's calling himself the Messiah from Daniel. The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. That's a seeker. That's a person who's had a change in their heart, and they want to take the next step. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. He's declaring himself to be Messiah. Again, if anybody ever says, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, he did a lot. And here's an example of it right now in their culture. And then it closes with this. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. He fell down before Jesus. To worship in um, the Old Testament language means to bend your knee. And it, that's what it means to worship is to bow down before him. That is a beautiful picture of worshiping God, to bow down before him. And this man worshiped Jesus, and Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they're blind. There's a couple more verses in this one, but I just want to you know, kind of draw to a close this, this, this story. We'll wrap it up with this. Um, you're either blind or you can see. That's it. And if you're blind, the Bible says it's just because you were born blind. Everybody spiritually is born blind. Everybody spiritually is born dead. That's just the reality. Only through Jesus can you receive sight. Only through Jesus can you receive true life, spiritual life. And only when you encounter him and say yes to him will that happen to you. That, that's just the reality. And I don't know where you are on your journey here at Sunrise. I'm glad you're here on a journey. Maybe you're watching online and you're on a journey. I'm so excited to be a part of that. All of us at Sunrise are excited. That's why we do what we do, to lead you in a growing relationship with Jesus. But stop faking it and just come clean. I mean, where are you in the story? I mean, look at this, this levels of belief and levels of doubt here. Are you scoffing? Okay. Maybe secretly scoffing. You're here. You know, on the outside you look fine, but on the inside you're scoffing, you're mocking. Are you skeptical? Are you self-righteous? Are you seeking? Just be honest because there's a step for each one of us. In fact, here's what I would say. Three, three thoughts for you today. A journey of doubt to a journey of belief. Number one, believe what you see. If God's doing something in your life, if God's doing something around you in other people's lives, just take it for what it is. It might just be a small thread that you begin to pull on, but have enough courage and boldness to pull on the thread of faith because it will lead you to a beautiful place. Just believe what you see in front of you. This guy was blind and now he could see. They didn't want to believe that. They didn't want to pull on that thread. Michael Behe, in a great book about intelligent design, and, and he writes this story, and he basically says, after all the research on cellular biology that had been done in the world, by thousands and thousands of interns and millions of hours and all the dollars, we all sat there and came to the conclusion that this had been designed. But we couldn't throw a party and pop the champagne corks because on the side of the door, on this side of the door that says design, on the back side of the door might say God. And we can't accept that. So we just ignore the truth. Don't ignore the truth, my friends. Believe what you see. Number two, follow up on your doubts. Just ask people, say, hey, hey, I've got doubts about things. I've got questions. We love 
We love people asking questions. I love it all the time. Please, please. You know, it's like when your kids ask questions, why, 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 why? We never get tired of that. Okay, we will follow up on that with you. We'd love to talk to you about it. And number three, tell others what God did for you. And I just want to close with this. You know his story, right? It was, I was blind and now I see. Any questions? No, that's it. That's all I know. This was my life before Jesus and this is my life since Jesus changed me. And if you don't have a life since Jesus changed you, maybe you've just been faking it. But this was my life before. It doesn't have to be horrible. I'm not saying you should, you know, lie and tell people you were a satanic occultist person who killed people or whatever like that. I'm not, I'm not saying you should pretend to be the worst of the worst. Just You were born sinful. You were lost, and now you're found. You were blind, and now you see. That's his story. Look at this. We'll draw this to a close. I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't have all the answers about God, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. And so that's my question for you. What is your story? What is your story? What is your Jesus story? What is your story about what God has done in your life? And are you willing to tell people about it, even if it's very simple? All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And if you don't have a story, you could get a story, because I think you have one. It's probably happening right underneath your nose, and you're not even aware of it. The Jesus story is happening all around you. Maybe it's starting to happen inside of you. Are you willing to take a step of faith today? Pray with me. Father God, I love this story. Thank you for putting it in your word because it is such a true picture of who we are as human beings at whatever level, whatever place, whatever person we are in the story. But if they all come back to Jesus, and what are we going to do with Jesus? For some of us, Father, remind us of just telling the story of Jesus because we have a story for others. Maybe we're in the middle of the story along the journey of faith or doubt, and maybe we just don't want to hear the story again. May we just be honest about that because this is all about you and your glory. We want to give our lives to you on this, on this journey. We thank you in Christ's name, amen.